0: Starting out today by throwing out the fact that the Army-Navy game has got to be the most overrated game, not just in college football, but the entirety of sports. I mean, who cares about it? Yes, if you're Army-Navy, if you're in the military, or you've gone to one of the two schools, you care about it. Outside of that, the general public tries to throw this game in our face like it's something that is so much more important than it is. It's not Ohio State-Michigan. It's not Yankees-Red Sox. It's not you know United States-Japan of 1941. Like people make it out to be. There's so much hype about this game. There's no value to it. Most overrated game in sports. I'm going to talk for a couple minutes and explain why the New York Mets are in a catch-22 coming into this offseason. And whatever they would have done would have been wrong... In the eyes of the person that is trying to needle the Mets, trying to critique the Mets, trying to hate on the New York Mets. And let's be serious. I mean, you're talking about a franchise that you can't go anywhere in sports. And, and maybe very few teams are in this type of classification. People love to pick on the Mets. The Mets are a lovable losers as a franchise. Going back from 1962. and Casey Stengel and the 120 losses. People love to needle the Mets. People love to put the Mets down. People love their uh, Mets jokes. About the first pitch of the season. And the season's over. They'll do anything to kind of laugh at the Mets. The New York Post has centered their entire paper. Around picking on the Mets. Yeah, you, know, you praise the Yankees. And then you belittle the Mets. That's what the writers are taught as they take a job with the New York Post or at least what they were told to do in the 1970s and the 1980s. Now, the Mets, hopefully better times are coming. And I've said all along, there's no other team in professional sports that could be able to hurt me like the New York Mets. And I allow them to hurt me because that's, just a, that's the team that I'm the most passionate about. Everybody's got a team like that, whatever it is. You care just as much as I do about your team as I do the New York Mets. And I made that case over you know, 650 shows now. And you know, I've gotten into other sports, but it's understood. And if I'm going to let you know that there's one strict team that I root for, it obviously is the New York Mets. But the reason that they're in a catch-22 this offseason, they've been lucky to be bought out or owned by somebody that's worth $17 billion. He has the ability to do whatever he needs to do, whether it's on the baseball side, whether it's with payroll, whether it's from the analytical side and little things that they could add in regards to technology and put them at the cutting edge of baseball as we look at it. He's got the ability to do that. But the Mets, I'm going to compare them for a second to the 2017-2018 Kansas City Royals who are in a very similar situation. Now in a couple minutes I'll tell you and I'll rehash what the Royals did and kind of how they set their franchise back for a handful of seasons and it's obviously the opposite of what the Mets have done. What they both have in common is they had extremely key and expensive players that were all hitting free agency in the same offseason. So in order to be able to retain the same squad, in the Mets case, that won 101 games last season, or the Kansas City Royals, who, yes, had an 81-81 and 81 season in 2016, an 80-82 and 82 season in 2017, but prior to that won the World Series in 2015, was in the World Series in 2014, in order for them to compete and be on the same level in 2018, they were going to have to retain Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis, and Lorenzo Cain, and Alicides Escobar, and by the way, Wade Davis, who was not on the team by the end of the 2017 season. Now, if they were going to retain all these players, the outlook of the Kansas City Royals for 2018 would have looked a lot better. They chose not to do that. Now, the people that are down on the Mets, that laugh at the Mets, that like to hate on the Mets, what did you want them to do? Did you want them to not replace Jacob DeGrom as he walked and went to the Texas Rangers? Did you want them to let Brandon Nimmo sign with the Toronto Blue Jays and not adequately replace him in center field or in the outfield? Did you want the Mets to not re-sign the best closer in baseball in Edwin Diaz and allow him to sign with, let's say, the Yankees or the Dodgers? Because if the Mets did all three of those things, they would be a lot worse off than the team that won 101 games in the 2022 season, right? So as you look at the Mets from 2022 going into 2023, that team would not look as good. And for an owner that is worth $17 billion and has made it clear that money is not an object, that's something that you would not expect. So the critics of the Mets who keep coming out in full force are like, well, look at all that money that the Mets spent to have what essentially is the same team. Now, I'm not going to take the angle of, well, the same team won 101 games last year, and probably if you win 101 games on a year-in and year-out basis, your chances of advancing far in the playoffs and winning the World Series are pretty good. I I, I save that for anybody else that wants to put that argument out there because I think it's an easy one. But I'm going to throw out there the question that I I ask you, what did you expect the Mets to do? The Mets were in a unique situation where they had – not just the three players that I just mentioned, DeGrom, Nimmo, and Edwin Diaz, all hitting free agency at the same time. Chris Bassett's a free agent. Taiwan Walker was a free agent. He signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. By the way, Adam is a free agent. Seth Lugo's a free agent. Trevor May is a free agent. Now, the Mets have made some adjustments. They signed Jose Quintana, essentially, to replace Taiwan Walker. They signed David Robertson, essentially, to replace Adam Adovino. Their bullpen's a little weak. They need a number 3 starter to replace still free agents that were pending this year. So in order for the Mets to have a team similar to the one that won 101 games last year, yes, they had to spend this amount of money to be able to do it. That's the cost of doing business. That's the cost of free agency out of the market as you're looking at it right now. I mean, are you, have you seen what Xander Bogart's got? Have you seen what Trey Turner got? Have you seen what Aaron Judge got paid? You're looking at a lot of the other free agents, not just free agents that are signing with the Mets, but the cost of doing business. If you want to get better, if you want premium free agents in a day and age right now, on December the 10th, 2022, this is the cost of doing business. So the Mets had to do this just to retain a similarity to the same roster that they had last season. So if they didn't do it, you're looking at a much inferior product. You're looking at a team that should not be expected to go out there and win the National League East, win 101 games, be in a mix to make a run at the World Series championship. So this is the cost of just getting them back to where they were last year because of the amount of free agents that they have. So should they continue? Of course they should. The owner has made a point to be the highest payroll in all of Major League Baseball, blow away through the luxury tax threshold, blow past the extra threshold that was created just for Steve Cohen. Once you have established you don't care about that, the goal should be to do something that the Mets have not done in 37 years. And 36 years have passed. They're not going to have a chance to win the World Series until 2023. And that would have been 37 years since they won the World Series in 1986. In fact, you're looking at the Mets, and I have not seen teams put together that have dominated the league for a long time. And I thought the last one that we really saw was in 2006 when Omar Minaya kind of put the finishing touches on his two off-season push to really get the Mets to be a top-tier team in all of Major League Baseball. Of course, in 2005 to 2004 offseason, when Omar took over as the general manager of the Mets, he signed Pedro Martinez, he signed Carlos Beltran, he wanted to sign Carlos Delgado, but Delgado said, listen, I don't want this to be an all-Latin thing, so he ended up taking the deal with the Florida Marlins at the time. Next offseason, trades for Delgado, signs Billy Wagner, and that team goes out there and was probably one of the more dominant regular season teams that you've seen in Mets history. You go back to 1986, 1988, 1988 to 2006 was exactly 18 years in between. And the Mets had that season in 2006 where they were dominant in a regular season. They got past the Dodgers in a division series. They ended up making it to the NLCS game seven. Of course, Aaron Heilman home run to Yadier Molina, the Cardinals end up making it to the world series and beating uh, the Detroit Tigers winning that World Series championship. And going back to 1988, the same thing happened with the Dodgers. Mike Sosha, Oral Hersheiser. And the team in 1986 was just as dominant. That wire-to-wire team that there was never any doubt they were going to win the division. Mets haven't had that since then. If they happen to have that in 2023, which isn't going to be without a challenge, the Braves look great. The Braves have a, a very good young core, maybe a team that you think has the stability over time to continue to be good year in and year out, which the Mets are competing with right now. You got the Phillies, who made it to the World Series last year, obviously have gotten better with Trey Turner. I love Taiwan Walker. I wish he would have stayed with the Mets. It's a great addition to their to their bullpen. And you know they're still going to try to push the needle. They're they're looking to get better. It's not going to be easy for any one of those three teams to go out there and run rup shop over the National League East. But, you know, if the Mets were to do that, that would be 17 years. Since 2006. Forget about 1986. 17 years since 2006 when the Mets last were essentially a wire-to-wire division winner. They didn't win the division last year. They didn't win the division in 2021. They have not been an essential wire-to-wire winner since 2006, which was 17 years ago. And I said that before about 1988 from 2006, the time before that when they were wire-to-wire division winner was 18 years ago. So the Mets are in a catch-22. They're going to they have to spend to retain the talent that they have, probably have to overspend if they want to get better. Wanted to spend a couple moments talking about Baker Mayfield. Obviously, the Mets were out there. They signed Brandon Nimmo. They added David Robertson. That happened since the last program that I that I did. But also Baker Mayfield performing well, leading the Los Angeles Rams to a last-minute victory over the Las Vegas Raiders. That that happened since my last show. And Baker Mayfield takes a lot of criticism. He does. And. Maybe he's one of those guys that kind of makes it about him. He's got that shtick that doesn't rub off on reporters real well. That shtick that may not necessarily rub off on his teammates so well. There's a lot of people that want to see Baker Mayfield fail. And I'm not one of them. I have not been one of them. I rooted for him when he was in Cleveland. I rooted that there was a chance he could resurrect his career a little bit in Carolina, even though I never believed that that was the right fit for him. He's in a spot right now where... He is not quarterbacking to be the future guy in Los Angeles with the Rams. He is competing to be a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL next year. And he's got off to a good start. He threw for 230 yards. He, he had a, what, a a QBR of a 91 or so, which was, which was solid for him. When you're talking about a guy who is projected as one of the worst quarterbacks in all of the NFL this season, he's going to have four more games. The likeliness is that Matthew Stafford isn't going to come back this season. Is Stafford going to be the quarterback for the Rams next year? We'll see. And maybe there there's some chance that Mayfield can go out there and earn the trust of head coach Sean McVay and maybe be the quarterback for the Rams for, for the long-distant future. I, I don't believe that his future is there. But here's what Baker has a chance to do. Games that mean nothing. The Rams aren't going to make the playoffs this year. The, you're going to be that rare Super Bowl champion that he's not going to sniff the postseason. But he's going to get a chance to go out there and do his thing. He's going to go out there and perform with scouts from all over the country. Every John Q fan is going to be able to evaluate Baker Mayfield. There's a chance that he's going to be starting for somebody in the NFL next year. And I made this point before. I believe that there aren't 32 quarterbacks in the NFL that are better than Baker Mayfield at this point. And that's probably something that's not so popular to say. There are some bad quarterbacks out there. Maybe C.J. Stroud and uh, Bryce Young end up becoming legitimate starters. Is Kenny Pickett the future? Is Malik Willis the future? You go back to archives of the PBS past and you know that I, I don't believe in any quarterback from this past year's draft. But... Looking at it like this, I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield. I continue to make that case that I root for Baker Mayfield. We'll see how it ends up turning out. I want to finish off the show today by laughing at the results or the closing moment of the Suns-Pelicans game from the other day. Zion Williamson with just an unbelievable spinorama, one-handed slam in a waking seconds, the final seconds, of the Pelicans' victory over the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns, you know, they had their Brian McCann moment, right? They had their little bitch pitcher moment that can't take a, a guy hitting a long home run off of them and gets a little offended and whines and cries and bitches and complaints. And I thought this only applied to baseball. Apparently, this applies to the NBA, too. There are sore losers like the Phoenix Suns that, you know, can't take losing a game. If you don't want to see somebody do a dunk in the closing seconds in a game that's already been decided, play better basketball. Be more competitive over the course of the game. Don't be in a position where the Pelicans are kind of sticking it in your face with a whirlwind, super impressive slam. That's embarrassing from the Suns' perspective to even make a big deal about it at all. You want to throw a couple snide quotes in post-game, uh, you know, maybe it was a little much. But you're going to turn that into an altercation at the end of the game? Why? The Pelicans should have been happy to, won, to have won that game. They should have been happy to celebrate. There's no issue with that. Like I said, it's like those wussy people that are out there complaining when a dude flips a bat after hitting a home run. It's usually the people on the other side that gave up the home run. You want better results? You want to instill that inside you to motivate you to go out there and beat that team or beat that person that did that to you on the field? I have no issue with it. But to sit there and whine and cry and bitch and complain about it, nobody wants to hear that. You're embarrassing yourself. Terrible look from the Phoenix Suns the other day and their reaction to Zion's monster dunk. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Albert's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll probably be back with you next Tuesday when another edition of the PBS can be found on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, YouTube. If you want to check me on SoundCloud, follow me on Twitter at John underscore God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. In the back, he got beam for crying out loud. Heart attack. We used heart attack. Me. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. No, 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 no. The credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the German bomb, pro The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. Uh, yeah. Let about books my apartment smells of rich mahogany why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking world series i was gonna listen to that but then i just carried on in my life Now they come out as the biggest major league baseball manager apologist that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired because hitters are going out there saying i'm either gonna hit a home run or i'm gonna strike out and if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. Not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing The dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. Mm. Side of the spectrum, they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100% unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at them. They put their tail between their legs, decided they're going to do exactly what they're told you damn well right. Better give him a contract extension. you damn well right. Better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.